Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Patrick Gibbons. Now, I met Patrick at a leadership development seminar. Oh, shit, man, what's it been, like 10 years ago, 12 years ago? 2009? Wow, yeah. And at that point in time, I don't think we, I think we, we, uh, stayed in touch after that we got into a mastermind mm-hmm. and started doing some work together there and then you had started your first or not your first but I guess you had started your uh, business that you're running now Patrick Gibbons Handmaids and these guys do like really cool exotic leather goods for golf just really really cool stuff really creative stuff and um, he's here today to tell us a little bit about what that journey's looked like and where he's going to be taking the company he threw me a curveball with a twist on uh the last conversation that we had. And so I thought it'd be interesting to go down that journey. So welcome on, man. Appreciate you being here today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course, brother. So let's travel back in time a little bit and um, talk a little bit about the origin story. Uh, I know that um, golf was something that you did with your, was it your grandfather when you're growing up? Yeah. He introduced me to, to golf. Yeah. And I know that we had a couple conversations about how much that meant to you at the time. So tell us a little bit about your exposure to the sport and then how that led into, you know, the, the company that you ended up creating. Well, yeah, my, my grandfather introduced me to, to golf, you know, at the age of two, you know, there's, he would cut down clubs that he had and put, you know, um, duct tape, make them as grips and, and bring me out on the course with them. Um, so I've, I've always, I, I was introduced to it at a young age. So he just took full-size gloves and like cut the shafts off? Cut them, cut them in half, made little, yeah, duct tape grips. And, uh, and you know, that was my set of clubs and he'd bring me out there. And, um, you know, it, I, didn't, I didn't actually catch the bug of golf until I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, just the early years, it was really, it was just spending time with him that I enjoyed. I mean, it, it had... The golf was just the activity, um, and I, did, I, you know, wasn't necessarily looking at par, and I thought it was cool to watch the ball fly in all sorts of weird directions. It wasn't until later when I actually played that I was like, oh, there's, okay, there's, there's a goal here, and, and, you know, we're trying to achieve something. Um, but, yeah, it was just a, a, a connection that uh, through that game that, that I had, you know, got to spend a lot of time with them. Right on, right on. So what year did you end up starting Handmade? Well, so starting it in 2008. Okay. um, That was the year before we met. Yeah. Okay. So that first year, um, at the end of the first year, I had quit. Like, you know what? I'm done with this. It was a lot of starting and stopping. Um, Weren't you just doing grips at the time? Like putter yeah, grips and it was, such? Yeah, the whole idea was like, I'm going to make a living making putter grips. Okay, got it. Um, but I had quit, you know. I quit after the year. Hadn't, hadn't achieved anything. Um, and then I was signed up to go to that Psy Basic course. Um, so I was done with Handmade for about a week. Went to that personal growth seminar. And over those four days... Um, realized that my attitude, my outlook, just me is what kept handmade from actually doing anything that previous year. Mm. And, um, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go, go at it with a different attitude, different belief. 
um, and see what happens. And by the fall of that year, six months later, um, I had the piece that I needed made and in my hand that I had, you know, struck out for the entire year before getting done. Um, and then, you know, that, that year handmade was to me, that was like when it started was, was 2009. But in reality, it, I, I started it in 2008. So what happened to make that shift for you? I mean, yeah, I, you know, like, um, a lot of times when you go into a seminar room, you look around the room and, and they even do this at Sai. They're like, Hey, look around the room. And you're like, uh, you know, you're probably already judging your neighbor kind of a thing. Like, oh yeah. Oh, your yeah. neighbor looks like that person's fucked up. They should be here, but I shouldn't kind of a thing. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I think when I first met you, I never picked you for the guy who would have been in a seminar room. You no, know? I wouldn't have been. Yeah. So like, what was your, what was your takeaway from that experience, that basic experience that allowed you to sort of make that shift and jump back into the company? So for the first two and a half, almost three days, uh, one, two, two and a half, um, I sat there and was looking around and judging people and like, yeah, I don't belong here. And yeah, I, you know, whatever the facilitator was saying, I'm like, yeah, 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 I know that. I know that. Yeah, I know that. Um, and it was late in the third day. It was actually the last exercise of the night or activity. Um, I actually was going to check out. Like, I, like, I'm done. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm ready to go home. And I, and I don't plan on coming back tomorrow. And I, w- I was convinced by the little small group leader that I had to, like, hey, just come back in, finish this last activity. And, you know, if you don't want to come back tomorrow, don't come back tomorrow. And I said, okay, I'll, d- I'll do that. So I went in. I did the activity. Um, and at the end of it, the facilitator got up there and was was – commenting on what he saw in that activity, the way that people were. And I could have sworn that he was saying everything about me um, in a judging way and very critical. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't like it. Um, and, uh, you know, while he, was, while he was talking, I was writing him an FU note. Um, and when he got done talking and the class was over, I went and gave it to him. Um, you know, basically like must be nice to sit in your little tower and judge people and blah, blah, blah. And you can just GFY. Right. (laughs) And I walked out of there and, and, um, you know, Brett Williams came, like Mm -hmm. attempted to stop me. And, you know, I, I gave him the double finger salute, uh, and walked out of there and had no intention of coming back. And the, uh, the next day, well, when I got home that night, the, the fiancé at the time um, was like, how are you so angry coming back from a personal growth seminar? And, you know, I had a bunch of colorful things to say and told her I wasn't going back the next day. And the next morning I woke up and started getting dressed and she, she was like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going back there and I'm telling them, tell them off one more time and I'm coming home and going to bed. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she knew me well enough that she's like, Go be you. And uh, on the way down to the, to the last day, I was driving down the highway, and I was talking to myself inside my head. And right at uh, the corner of just south of Shea, the highway takes a curve. And right then, I actually just 
I, I spoke out loud what I was saying to myself. And what I was saying was, you're about to quit a personal growth seminar. What does that say about you? And as soon as I heard it out loud, because I said it out loud, it was like lights turned on um, all about like what that facilitator was saying the last night. And the reason I got so upset was because everything that he was saying was accurate about me. I didn't like hearing it. Um, but I, I realized that where I was in life, good or bad, right or wrong, you know, is, was all because of me. Um, whether it was the choices I made, the beliefs I had, um, the attitude I carried, you know, I wasn't happy. Um, I wasn't happy hearing <laughs> that it was all my doing. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd much rather be like, well, it's this person's fault or that person's fault. Um, and, you know, just having that, that mirror put in front of me when, you know, a day later, um, I just, you know, had an honest moment with myself um, where it was like, yeah, you need to make some changes. You know, this, and if you make some changes, it's going to change things. Um, and so that, that was a, you know, it was, it was a well-spent four days. First, you know, two and a half days, you know, it was definitely in, into my, uh, you know, belief system. But uh, yeah, it opened, opened my eyes to, to, to me. Mm. That's powerful, man. I love the way that you, uh, you frame that and then sharing that piece that you were blessed yourself. I think a lot of us can relate to that for sure. Um, and today when I, when I hear your, your story about that and I think about how many people get offended by the, the slightest little things and I think about how difficult it is to be in a room with people who are literally calling you left and right on all your bullshit yeah. and staying in that, you know, there's a certain amount of power that comes from that for sure. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm assuming you don't regret the experience based on that story. No, no. I mean, if, if, uh, if I didn't, if I didn't, if I didn't go back that day, if I didn't go to the seminar in the first place, but if I didn't go back and finish it, if I didn't have that little experience on the highway, you know, a little realization, honesty moment, um, I have no clue where I'd, I'd, where I'd be today. I mean, it was, it was a, um, it was definitely a, a turning point mm -hmm. for me. I mean, there's all sorts of turning points, but it was, it was, it was a, uh, a, a very productive and, and important, you know, experience that, that has in my, my belief, um, you know, been a positive change. Right. And so you mentioned earlier that you had basically quit on this idea of, of handmade mm -hmm. uh, prior to, and then coming out of that, you're recommitted. So what was it that decide? what was the uh, mindset shift that you made at that moment or coming out of that seminar or within yourself that allowed you to say, listen, you know, I'm not done yet. I'm going to keep going. Well, the, the thing that dawned on me during the seminar was, um, uh, the facilitator was talking to, to one of the participants and had asked the participant a question, um, about what he had just experienced in an activity. And, um, his response was, well, I was trying to get this guy to do this. And the facilitator stopped him and is like, well, I, I don't understand what you mean. And, and he said, well, I was, I was trying to get him to do what I wanted him to do and he wasn't doing it. And, 
and the facilitator said, you know, what is this try thing? What do you mean by try? And um, the, guy, the facilitator said, do me a favor, try and give me a hug. And the guy, you know, he's standing next to him and he put his arms around the facilitator and he gave him a hug. And the facilitator said, did you give me a hug or did you try and give me a hug? And the guy looked confused. And I mean, I knew, you know, right then I'm like, okay, Yoda, I get it. <laughs> um, you know, but the, the, the participant decided like, okay, I'm, he went up and he, and he air hugged him, but he didn't touch him. He didn't, you know, make contact. He was, and so the facilitator had asked, you know, did you give me a hug or did you try and give me a hug? I mean, so, and then, and so it's just that it's, it's, there isn't try. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. There, there is no try. And what I realized was the entire previous year when people would ask, hey, I heard you're out of land development and what, what is it that you're doing now? Every time I would say, I'm trying to start this company. And I think just having that, that mind frame, which, which it, I mean, it's not here or there, right? I mean, it's, you, I, am I doing it or am I not doing it? You know, what, what's the try in there for? And so when I would hit roadblocks, um, you know, I would question myself because I had a lot of people questioning me, you know, like, do you really think you can make a living making putter grips? Um, and there was a lot of doubt. And then, you know, the doubt at times would seep back into me like, okay, is this really something I should be doing? Um, and, and so it just, it didn't go anywhere. So, you know, my, my thought you know, leaving that seminar was, you know, besides just the try aspect, there were many things that were pulled out of it. The big thing to me was I'm going to go in with the attitude of I'm doing this um, and see where that leads. Um, I'm also going to make some adjustments on my attitude and, and stuff like that, um, which, uh, you know, like I said, you know, six months after that basic seminar, um, I had, I had the, the one component that I was, had been working on for the year previous. So it was, you know, if not often running, it was often walking fast at that time. <laughs> I love it. You know? Um, so yeah, it's been, a, it's been an interesting 13 years. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you, you hear these stories about people going through a seminar and experience with a coach or a trainer and then having some epiphany right? And then going and doing good things. And then it's a, you know, a decade later, there's some sort of success story associated with it. But most people think it just, oh man, it's just sunshine and rainbows the minute you leave the room. Ah, you're lucky that that just happened to you. Yeah, it just happened. Yeah. Yeah. You just magically shifted your mind and had a positive outlook or decided you were going to do something and everything fell into place, right? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> so, you know, I'm cheating a little bit because I know some of the story, obviously not all the details, but uh, when we were doing our mastermind, you had brought a, a prototype of the putter grip in a few times and you're like, this is what I'm, you know, working on getting done, blah, blah, blah. Talk to me a little bit about the evolution of that, because obviously the company, uh, do you even do putter grips anymore? Or is it just kind of like on the side? I mean, I know that the primary product is not a putter grip. So, so where did you go from, I hate this or I'm going to quit this because I'm not getting anywhere and I'm, and I'm focused on putter grips to where you are today. 
So I do putter grips occasionally for some customers that know that I do them. They're not on the website anymore. I don't promote them because I'm the only one in the company that does them and it takes a while. And I just figure I have, have other ways to spend my time. Um, you know, shortly after, you know, releasing the first couple grips, you know, a customer had called and said, uh, Hey, is there any way that you can make me a matching belt? And normally if it had been like a year before I would have said, no, I don't know how to do that. I don't No, I don't with the new attitude, you know, that came from the seminar. Um, my attitude was I'll figure it out. You know, like, let me see, I'll figure it out. Um, and so through figuring it out, um, I was introduced to some people, um, that kind of gave, some tips to, you know, how to do it. Um, and then at one point was introduced, you know, it was suggested that, that an introduction be made um, to somebody that actually does it. And so I met that person and basically brought them onto the company. And um, we were off and running then with belts. Um, and then, you know, since then, We've introduced other products to the company and, um, and we get, you know, asked a lot by customers, Hey, are, you know, can you do this? And the answer is always, yes, we can do it. It's just, you know, how long is it going to take and what's it going to cost us or what's it going to cost you to get it in your hands? For sure. I, I think that there's a, a really key concept in what you just laid out because I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from a client who was a prospect at the time we sat down and I told him that I could do something that I didn't know how to do. And the reason that I did that, it wasn't being cocky or sort of brash or, or, or risky. It was just that it, I knew that if I didn't have the answer, someone that I knew would have the answer. I knew that I could find that, you know, I, I knew that at the end of the day, I could find a way to make it happen yeah. and find a way to make it happen with a high enough quality that the client would, would love it. Right. That was always the standard. It couldn't just be something that had to be, oh, done is good enough. No, it had to be done and liked, right? And I feel like a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've talked to over the years have that same quality. You know, is that something that you had to develop or is that something that you, you know, more or less took to naturally? As far as I can get it done? Yeah, just... Oh, no, that was a whole new thing. Oh, it was a whole new thing. No, no, that was, yeah, that was, that was a new belief. No, because before... Prior to that, if, if somebody, can you do that? No, I don't, no. And I wouldn't even entertain the um, idea of I'll figure it out. You know, I would sort of tell them like, you know, I, I don't know how to do it and you're better off finding somebody that does. <laughs> right. Um, so the, the idea, so we, we stamp on the belts. I don't actually know verbatim what the Latin phrase is, but I know what it translates to. And so they're stamped on the back of the belts and it's, if I can't find a way, I'll make one. Um, and that attitude, you know, I definitely got, in, you know, I don't know if it actually came in the basic, if it came in any following, but it was that summer of self-improvement, you know, the seminars that I was doing, yeah. um, where that stuck in, where it was like, all right, um, I'm, you know, I may not know it. However, I'm bright enough to figure out how to get it done, whether I'm doing it or somebody else is doing it, but I, I can get it done. 
Yeah, and you touched on a key concept as well in that statement too. You you said that you you developed, I think you used the word developed, I could be wrong. You you acquired or developed the belief that you could make that happen. And a lot of times when I'm dealing with coaching clients nowadays, that's the question that I get asked a lot, you know, how do I think that way or how do I make that real in my head? Do you remember a process that you went through or was it just something that you constantly repeated or was it just something that you just stepped into and hoped for the best? You mean that attitude? Yeah, that, that, well, that belief specifically, since you used that word belief, you know, how did you make that belief part of, of your beingness, like how you're showing up? Oh, it, 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 yeah, it didn't just emerge. The concept emerged, you know, and then it, and then it took, you know, a handful of, uh, you know, experiences to realize that, you know, okay, if I, if I get my mind straight on what it is that I want, the, the steps will start to present themselves. And then what it really comes down to is, for me, was when I would get no's or rejections on help or wouldn't get an answer from somebody, to, for me to develop an attitude of keep going. I, I have a lot of quit in me, you know, um, and I, I, that, that's been in my life a lot of like, okay, this is hard, I'm done. This isn't working. I'm done. Um, so to, to get out of that to where it's like, okay, you just heard no. That means you're one step closer to getting a yes from somebody. Um, keep going. And because there was a lot of uh, doubt from other people when I was starting it, it basically became a thing of, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll show you. Um, so, so stubbornness, um, some people call it persistence, stubbornness, um, a, a kind of basically just, all right, go ahead and doubt me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, 13 years later, I'm still doing it. Yeah. That's such a great lesson. You know, there's all this. I love personal development and I love the personal development world. And obviously I coach people and all this kind of stuff, but there's so much bullshit in that world that it drives me crazy sometimes. And I have to catch myself um, because I, I want to rant and rave over a lot of the memes that I see floating through the world. And, and I want to rant and rave over all the seminars being sold and people attending the seminars and then emerging and never using the tools. You and I have talked about this off mic a few times, but you know, at the end of the day, like, coming away with something that you're going to use is the point and finding a way to do that is the superpower really. And I love what you had to say there because you took something that could be perceived as a negative, you know, well, I'm doing this because so-and-so issued a challenge ish, right? Or I'm doing this because I have a chip on my shoulder because of X, Y, Z circumstance or what have you. And you, you basically said, I'm, I'm using that as motivation or as fuel to continue the process. And I think a lot of times in the personal development world, we will always come from flowers and sunshine and balloons and clowns. And the reality is sometimes, you know, that sort of dark side, if you will, can fuel you, you know, in, in the absence of some of those positive mindsets that people say you should stay in all the time, right? Yeah. And I feel like 
that right there is a classic example of how you can use something that's not necessarily perceived as a positive as a way to get leverage over yourself to make something happen. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I know for me that, that that's been one of my most useful motivations in life. Um, you know, yeah. If somebody says that I, that I'm not capable of, of something, then it's, yeah, let's, let's show them that I am. Um, you know, look, looking back on it, you know, starting that company and in the time that it was started, you know, when the economy went to hell, um, it probably wasn't the brightest idea to start a high end exotic leather putter grip company, um, in one of the worst, you know, economies in our history. Being naive and stubborn, actually paid off for me. Um, and yeah, you know, ha- having people, you know, doubt, doubt, um, you know, my abilities, that, that was definitely, you know, a motivator. The, um, you know, the other thing with it is just that um, because I, I was used to quitting and it was a common thing for me, um, my mindset at that point was to make changes and start doing things differently, right? I mean, insanity and doing the same thing over again. So, you know, I bought into the fact of, you know, if I, if I want different results, I have to do different things. Um, and so for me, the different thing was not quitting. Uh, you know, all right. You know, and, and listen, even after, you know, the, the into the second year, so I've got a new attitude. Well, that, that new attitude would get tested quite a bit. You know, my programs of wanting to quit are strong. Um, so it, they, they would talk to me of like, oh, do you really need this? Do you really, you know, do you really want this? Do you, who cares if they were right? You know, go ahead, you know, stop. Um, and I'd have to sit there and be like, no, this is, this is what I want. This is, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, just keep going. It's interesting to me that you have such a uh, keen awareness of those programs coming up and what they mean or what they might suggest as a, as a way of sort of showing up or being in your business or in your life. And I'm curious if you've thought about where those programs came from initially, like, you know, that they're there. Why are they there? And obviously, you know that they don't serve you. So, and you're using them as a, almost as if a, almost as if it's like a, a an inflection point. It's like, hey, it popped up. What am I going to do with it? Kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But just knowing the origin, I think, of a lot of that stuff helps us as individuals face it and say, well, it really doesn't have power over me because I'm I'm staring it down, and it came from this part of my life. Do you have any sense of where those programs came from? Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's so many programs. I mean, I know where some of them come from. Um, you know, it's, it's childhood and, you know, hearing something from a parent that, um, that I just took to heart and, and just ad, ad, adopted it as like that comment that they just made is me. Yeah. Um, can you remember like a specific instance though of where you felt where you felt something like that hit you or 
or where you feel like a specific incident definitely impacted the creation of that program? Well, not, so not that specific program. Right. Um, yeah, there, there was, um, there was an award ceremony for like little league or something, you know, when I was fourth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. And, um, my stepdad wasn't the most athletic person in the world. Um, you know, he was, he was a reader, you know, um, Hey, come on. There's nothing wrong with reading. (laughs) Uh, but from, from, he, he wasn't, we didn't share a common, um, trait of being, I was athletic and he wasn't right. Um, so I had gotten like an award and on the way home in the car, I was in the back seat and my parents were in the front and, um, I had said something about this, this award and, you know, he came back with, yeah, that's great and all, but what's that going to get you in 20 years? Like athleticism. Um, and it just, it just burst my bubble as a kid. Um, and then it made me sort of, well, I sort I, at that point, you know, started kind of questioning like, okay, um, you know, do, are there benefits to athletics? Are there like what I just started doubting, uh, myself there. And, um, that's one that, that's, that, that, like, I know that moment. Um, many of the other things as far as, like, stubbornness or, or you know, wanting to quit, not exactly sure if there was a, an exact moment that, and, and how it, you know, impacted and created, you know, that, a, a particular program. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I do know that, that uh, yeah, a lot of times when, when the, the going gets tough, um, yeah, I want to sit down. Yeah, I, uh, that's, a, that's a really cool story. I, I'm always fascinated by this. If you can tie two things together, it's one of the things that I brought with me into the same work that we did was this idea that I couldn't trust other men. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about where that might have come from. Like, obviously, there's no proof that you can go back and say, oh, well, it solidified it in my mind on X date next year. Right. But I remember being in high school and my dad issuing a challenge. He basically said, you know, because he, he knew I was sandbagging. School was boring and, it, you know, it really wasn't a challenge. And so he was like, hey, you know what? If you make honor roll this quarter, I think we were in quarters. If you make honor roll this quarter, you know, there's a hundred bucks in it for you, you know, and, and, you know, in 1989 or 90, whenever that was, that was a lot of money for a kid. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. So I'll just do this to shut him up because he thinks I can't do it kind of a thing. Right. And so I went and I, I put in the time, which really wasn't that much, obviously, or honestly. And I, I remember, you know, making honor roll, not that I was really ever that far from it, but when I came and I gave him my report card, <clears throat> he told me he wasn't gonna gonna give me the hundred bucks because I didn't make straight A's. And I said, Well, making straight A's wasn't the deal. The deal was honor roll. And, you know, I think he didn't realize that you could make honor roll, you know, with having a B. Right. You know, because it's just like the average of all your grades, right? And so I didn't end up getting the reward. And so I took that to mean that, you know what, hey, someone that you 
that you trust and someone who's supposed to have your back um, probably isn't going to have that, you know, and because it came in the form of my father, I was like, well, this is going to be most men in my life. And I, I sort of remember making that association. So I'm always curious about how those beliefs come to be. And sometimes I'm astonished at what a small thing it seems on the surface, but what a big thing it turns into or what someone can make it into in their own life, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, you, you know, when, when a program's set at four or five years old, because a four or five year old is interpreting something from somebody, but yet that taking that at that age and then bringing it into your 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe never even realizing it and being like, okay, a four year old and their whole world and knowledge and all that is now going to impact me for the rest of my life. Um, that's, that's pretty, um, powerful. It's pretty scary at times, you know, of like, okay, well, what else is, is, have I like adopted as real from, uh, five, six, seven years of age and, taken that through the rest of my life as like, Oh, well that's, that's gospel. Yeah. You know, or, or that's who I am. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. Well, I mean, what, what, once, you know, some, some of the lights were turned on as far as you know, programs and, and why I do certain things or where it came from, you know, it, it for me, it, it, it was a, a type of thing of like, okay, well, what else is there? What else is there that I'm thinking about that that is not letting me be at the level that I'd like to be at, yeah, um, or to achieve what I want to achieve, or um, like what other beliefs do I have that's holding me back? Yeah, and and what are the what are they in terms of reality? Because usually they have nothing to do with reality, right? Right. There's a great analogy. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Anthony DeMello, but he was a Jesuit priest, and he did a great job of writing essays about certain things. He, he focused on like love and attachment and, you know, the way that we see the world and our place in it. And one of the analogies that he gives it that that's powerful for me is, is like, imagine you're riding a bus with a group of people, right? And there's someone at the, at the front of the bus giving you a tour of everything that they're seeing, but all of the shades are pulled down on the windows. So you personally can't see, mm-hmm. right? And so you're seeing the world, that someone else is giving to you through everything that they're seeing, but obviously their words and their experiences and their descriptions, you know, would not be the same as their words and as the words and descriptions that you would use for yourself. Mm-hmm. But you're giving truth to that because you don't know to lift the shade. Right. You, know, you don't know to uncover the truth yourself. So you're just relying on these other people and children are like that, you know, from the ages of zero to six, we're in this trance state and we just soak everything up all the time. And when you think about the power of that, there's so much responsibility that really goes into parenting that's been overlooked. It's just amazing to me that <laughs> we come out alive sometimes with some of the stuff that, you know, we experience as kids. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. So now that you've had this awakening, so to speak, you know, if I could use that word loosely with air quotes, 
um, or been exposed to some different ways of thinking, you, you start to get a little bit more traction with the company. The company starts to grow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, assuming you're doing well, it provides a good lifestyle for you. It employs people. You know, you've got all these things going. And then, you know, you and I were talking the other day and you decided that you wanted to go in a different direction with the company. And you said something about, you know, you don't want to be remembered for just holding people's pants up. Right. So talk a little bit about this sort of shift in thinking that you've had in and around the purpose of your business, if you will kind of shed some light on that and we'll dive down that rabbit hole. Uh, well, so when I started the company, the, the idea was that one, I was engaged at the time and, and she had, you know, two boys. And so to me, I had two boys and there was a family. And so the idea was, you know, what can I do that I want to do? that I'd enjoy being around that I think would be fun. Um, that would also provide a, a living and, um, you know, support this family. Um, so 13 years later, I'm now doing what I had envisioned, you know, those years ago. However, you know, she's not here. The boys aren't here. Um, you know, I, I have, a, a, I have a nice company. I, I have a, a nice life. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, over the last four years, three and a half, four years, there's been a handful of things that have happened that um, has just made me question, why am I doing this? I mean, it's fun. Okay, I have fun. Um, I, I, I have shelter, it provides, I eat, um, it has all those good things. But I, I've never felt so empty in my entire life than I have like the last three and a half years. Um, and, you know, so, it was three and a half, um, so there's been a handful of loss of life in my family the last two and a half years. Um, my grandmother passed, which wasn't really a surprise at 96, but she passed. Um, two months later, out of the blue, my stepdad passed away. Um, and then basically two months after that, um, my little sister overdosed and passed away. Um, and so, you know... With that stuff happening, with some other things that, that you know, had, had, uh, had happened, you know, I've been kind of questioning, what is the point of all this? What's the point? You know, like, yeah, I have fun. Um, you know, at some point when I look back on my life, if I have that opportunity, if I'm on a deathbed and I can look at it, the, what I've been doing of having fun, um, it's not fulfilling. It, it's, it's, uh, we employ people, we make cool products, you know, um, but yeah, am I just, am I just here? Is it at the end, is it going to be holding up people's pants, like making belts, protecting people's clubs? Um, so I'd actually, I'd been thinking, 
um, this past summer of just shutting down. Like, let me go find something else to do that's, that's fulfilling. Maybe it helps people. Turns out I like helping people. <laughs> um, who knew? Um, so the idea was I'm going to shut down the company. And then it dawned on me that, well, if I do that, I, those eight people are out of work. Their families are impacted. And it goes against what I was originally attempting to create. So if I created it, which I did, why get rid of it? Um, and with some of the, you know, uh, personal growth stuff of like the and or, or lifestyle, it dawned on me that, you know, that the help that I want to do, the projects that I want to do, the charity call it, um, instead of having a handout and asking people for support, like donations, which I hate doing <laughs> with a passion, um, why don't I just use handmade and take the profits from all of our website sales and put it towards the projects that I want to do? Um, that way my guys are working. That way I'm also more interested in handmade and how well it does because the better it does, the more I can give to the projects that I want to do. Um, and I don't have to ask people for donations. I can ask them to buy like quality products that we already make and they're already buying and I'll just use that money to go do the projects that I want to do. Um, so that's, that's the plan right now. That's, I mean, that's what's happening right now. It's not even a plan, but it's happening. Right on. And I appreciate the way that you're jumping into that. You know, um, you know, you've, you've made that decision and, and you've started going down that path and you're figuring it out. And I'm curious, you know, have you decided you know, are there any particular um, sort of aspects of life or people or, or classes of individuals that you want that money to go to, that you want to support, that you want to help? And, and if so, how and what does that look like? So, yes, there are, there are a couple areas that, you know, over the past couple of years, um, my, my business partner that I've had for 10 years now um, is, uh, is going through cancer treatments. Um, we found out about two years ago that she has cancer. Um, so she and I have talked, you know, quite a bit uh, about the direction that I want, you know, Handmade to go. And she's actually retiring um, from Handmade because, you know, she's, she wants to do some things. Sure. You know, and um, so I, I told her where I wanted to, to take it um, and asked her, you know, what, what she might want to see as projects. Like what would be important to her um and she had you know finding out that she had cancer you know she, she was going through some you know emotional things some some kind of wellness um times or, or mental health you know during during the initial uh news that she had cancer and what she had shared with with me was that she found it really hard to find um support groups out there support groups, counselors, any type of thing where it's like, you know, you, you give somebody the news that they have cancer and then as she put it, you know, she's just kind of on her own. Um, and so it was a, a struggle for her to be able to find groups to where she could just get some counseling, bounce some ideas and share some thoughts and all that sort of stuff. So that, that's one area that, that, uh, we're, we're looking at. Um, 
starting a project on. Um, with my sister's passing, my sister had been living on the streets, um, you know, homeless and, um, and all you, that. Were you and your sister close? Or had you guys been in contact or was she estranged? Yeah, no, we were close. Um, we, uh, no, we were, we were close. Um, I, I had received a call from my parents um, that she was in trouble and, you know, would I be able to go up to like Sedona and help her out? And I said, absolutely. And so I went up there and I grabbed her and was bringing her back down to the valley here. And, you know, in the, the, the ride down, I was explaining, you know, like, listen, um, you know, come stay with me. We'll figure some things out. We'll get you help. Um, there's, there's, you know, you got to keep the drugs and alcohol out of the house. Um, and with, within two hours of being at the house, she had already broken that rule. Um, and, you know, w- within a couple days, it, it had become apparent that she wasn't really looking for help. She didn't, she didn't really want it. And um, I decided to, to do the, you know, the tough love thing, which was, you know, I, I can put you, I can get you into a treatment program or like you're on your own. And so she decided to be on her own and um, asked me to drop her off at, you know, a homeless shelter down in, in Phoenix. Um, and uh, so it was like, you know, early on a Thursday morning at like 6 a.m., we're driving down there. And, um, you know, there's just, there's hundreds of people, you know, camped out on the street and just wandering. And, and I was in my car um, and I'm scared in my car, you know, doors are locked, windows are up. I'm scared, nervous. And we pull up to this curb and she just starts, you know, she just gets out, gets out of the car, grabs her stuff from the back seat. You know, here is my baby sister. You know, she's 12 years younger than me. Um, you know, she's college educated. She grew up in a, you know, a great community, you know, like had all the advantages in, in, in the world. And, um, and here she is getting out and just going into an element that I'm scared of in a, in a closed car. And she's just walking into the middle of it. And, um, and I left and, um, I, I cried basically the whole whole ride home because it's like, you know, this tough love thing. How do I leave her there? You know, I'll, I'm putting her back on the street. She was at my house. She could have stayed there, you know? I could have, like, why, why did my rules, like, okay, you didn't live up to them. Here's what you're doing. Now, that's what the programs say to do. You know, um, so I did it and, you know, uh, five months later, um, she goes to shoot up and it was laced with fentanyl and she's dead. I didn't make her shoot up. I know it's not my fault. I know all that sort of stuff. And it still doesn't change the fact that. 
in in a way, you know, I put her, I brought her back to the street. I mean, I like literally drove her to the place. Um, I didn't make her shoot up. I didn't want her doing that. She had other offers, all that sort of stuff. Um, but it hurts. And she's not here and she's not coming back. Um, and I'm making belts. What's the point? Now, with, you know, my grandmother, my, my, my stepdad, my sister, with Tracy, with COVID, with all the sorts of stuff, it's just really hit home that um, I don't know how much time I have. Um, but I do know at my age right now, you know, there's less of it than there's more. And, you know, my being here, any of ours being here is a lottery ticket. The fact that, you know, that we are who we are, the fact that we're, we're alive is a lottery, right? I mean, it could have been the other 10 million sperm cells that came in and you're, you're a different person. Um, so it, life is a gift. And I've been questioning, what have I been doing with my gift? Um, I like, you know, what, what we do. I, I like that, that, you know, I can basically, for the most part, do what I want, basically. Um, but is, is my going out and playing golf a couple times a week or, you know, I mean, what is it doing to help anybody else? Because, okay, like, if, if somebody's at my wake, which I'm not going to have a wake, but if I, if I had one, <laughs> you know, what's going to be the recap of my life? Well, he had fun. He played a lot of golf, you know. Um, but did I do anything that, like, ease somebody else's suffering? Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are... Every day there's people suffering and, you know, and it's not all, you know, first world problems. You know, there's, there's crappy things in the world. I don't have some illusion that, that, you know, I can go and make a difference for, you know, a country or, 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 you know, thousands of people. One or two, five or 10, 20. Um, one, <laughs> you know, that to me is, is means more than, you know, new set of golf clubs or a golf trip or a car or, and, and I've chased all that stuff in the past too. You know, I've, I've looked for the, the answers under those things and they, they've never been there. You know, the, 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 the one thing when you were making the t-shirts for me, you know, a couple of years ago, um, that we were 
basically selling to help keep a catering company business, you know, running. Mm-hmm. Because of COVID, they because were shut of COVID, down. they were yeah. they were shut down, and um, and the idea being, hey, let's make these T-shirts. You know, we'll take the profits from the T-shirts, and we'll buy food from this company and keep this company, you know, help them out. Right. And sold a lot of T-shirts, <laughs> and there was a lot of food that came with that. And then it was, well, what do we do with the food? I mean, I I can't eat it all. I can't, you know. And so, you know, we found like the Arizona Cancer Society and, and donated to them and, and we donated to the homeless shelter that my sister was at. Um, and that was the most rewarding thing that I've done in, you know, the last 10 years mm-hmm. it, for me personally inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this past, past couple years, with a handful of things that have occurred, um, my mind hasn't been the most healthy. Um, and realizing that there's like an emptiness there, the one thing that I've seen fill it up is actually like getting outside of me and focusing on helping other people. Um, and that helps me. You know, so I, this is, this is selfish. Like I'm doing this, um, because if I don't where I'd been the last couple of years is what is the point? Why am I here? Why am I taking up space? I, and I don't want to be here. Um, and I didn't like, and I don't like the idea of like quitting, quitting, mm-hmm. um, but that was the road that I was going down that I was on. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately my mom was alive. Fortunately, unfortunately for, unfortunately for me, I knew that I wouldn't do anything if she was alive because I wouldn't put her through that. Um, but it was also a struggle because, you know, I wanted to, I I didn't, you know, for, for a good two years, I didn't, I would get upset when I would open my eyes in the morning. So you were, you're you're literally talking about suicide. suicide. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean it was mm-hmm. it would occupy 70% of my day. Really? Um it, and it it was just you know, I've had ups and downs in life. Mm-hmm. You know, I I and I I rarely have middle. I'm either really up or really down. And um so the downs, you know, it wasn't wasn't unusual. Um, what I had experienced though, was that it just gained energy. And I, and like I said, I mean, I know certain, like, I know what I'm grateful for. I know mm-hmm. why I should be grateful and I know why I am grateful. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a lot of things to be grateful. I, I, re- I don't have much to not to be grateful about. <laughs> I'm fortunate, very fortunate even though I knew it and I could say why I'm fortunate and why I should, and, and that I'm not in these, you know, what other people are going through because those are real problems. I didn't, I really didn't have real problems except inside my head. But your gratitude was coming from a place of stuff. It sounds like not necessarily. No, I'm, gra- I'm grateful for my health. Okay. Health All isn't, right. isn't stuff. Right. Right. 
um, because I had a lot of friends, family members, friends who, you know, were going through serious illnesses, sure. amputations of limbs, loss of children. Those are things to be depressed about. But the gratitude wasn't about today. I feel grateful because I have meaning and purpose. Oh, there were, yeah, there was no meaning and purpose in my life. Right. No, no, it would be grateful because yeah, no, I have a roof over my head. I can right. eat. I'm healthy. Um, which are, you know, important things. Of course. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, not having a purpose and I would actually feel worse because I knew I should be grateful. And then I would feel bad because like you have no right reason to like, why are you upset? And so then I would get critical of myself of like, you know, and then it was just this snowball cycle yeah. of, of just feeling worse and worse and knowing that reality, I, I, I mean, I could do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I'm going to be hurting one of the most important people in my life. Right. And I don't want to do that. So, you know, I will stay with this like misery. Um, and I just, I'd never experienced like, you know, when people talk about like, Oh, mental health. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I get it. I've, I've, I've had bad times. I I've never experienced this thing where, where it just, it takes over. It took over me. I don't know what takes over other, but it took over me yeah. and it just encompassed, you know, so much of my day. I can relate to that. Um, and yeah, it was just a, uh, it's a, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, it sucks. It does, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not comparing my, my experience to yours, but when I woke up, you know, 10 years ago to three lawsuits on Christmas Eve, you know, and everything that I had worked for was threatened. I was by myself, you know, family wasn't nearby. My girlfriend at the time, fiance, is living in Canada, 1500 miles away. And I'm in this little room and I'm reading the words of these complaints and I'm recognizing the falsehoods and I'm recognizing the angle that they're wanting to take to make the falsehoods true, you know? And I, then I started, I read them so many times that I started to believe they were true. And then I didn't know the difference between what was true and what actually, you know, was actually true. Right. And what they were saying. And, and, and I just remember not being able to escape that cycle because I kept running it through my head over and over again, make, basically making it worse, starting to believe it. Yeah. And I mean, at that point, I had never understood at that point. I won't say that I was seriously contemplating suicide, but I had never understood until that point why someone would put a gun in their mouth. Oh, at, I, at I that did. point yeah. I understood. I understood because I didn't feel like there was a way out of that cycle in, in those moments. So oh, I've, you know, when, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain, you know, that was, was committed suicide. That was crazy. Um, you know, and people were talking about, Oh my God, you know, can't believe and why and this and that. And I was sitting there just going, Oh, that lucky son of a bitch. Um, he's not feeling pain anymore. Right. Um, I mean, I've had physical pain and now I know what mental pain is and I'd take physical pain any day of the week. Yeah. Have you, are you familiar? I mean, obviously you've heard the term Buddhism, right? But do you have, do you know the story of Buddha himself a little bit? Uh, like the, like the highlights? uh, A little bit. Yeah. 
so you know Buddha was a king, like the he was the son of a king, right? And he lived in this princely palace, and he was never exposed to lack, and never had, you know, uh, a moment's inattention from women, and never had a problem with anything. Like everything was just handed to him, and his his father didn't want him to ever leave that part of their con- their little spot of the land. He wanted to be insulated from all of those things, right? And so Buddha leaves and he goes into the real world and he starts to see poor people and see people struggling. And he sees that the world he lived in was basically this sort of fake microchasm that wasn't real and that suffering was real and that all of these things were happening to these people that he had never even considered before, right? And so then he decides to dedicate his life to, you know, what became Buddhism, like the study of how do I eliminate suffering, which is kind of what you touched on with what you wanted to help people, you know, and you think you mentioned the word, there's people suffering out there, right? And I think we all have a certain tendency to want to help, right? But from what angle? And when I think about this path, one of the guys that mentors me is, has implanted this idea that if you really want to help other people, you first become a king and then you become a philosopher, right? And so the idea that I take from that is that first you must emancipate yourself and then you can emancipate others. And so at the end of the day, if you're, you know, building companies or if you're creating enough financial success or material success such that you have most of your days, like I'm, I'm like you, I feel blessed. Like most of my days are my own. You know, I don't have to go to work. I mean, my commute is to my office if I want to that day. And the reality is I can spend more time in the presence of other people having conversations with you, learning about your life, and then putting this on the web so that other people can actually learn the lessons that you've learned, right? It's a way of giving back. And I feel like the more we can teach people how to acquire the skills and the resources that allow them to free themselves the less suffering we're going to have in the world. Because then at that point, it's like you said, like you've gotten to the point with your company to where you live a good life, right? And so it's like, now what? (laughs) You know, I've got enough material stuff to know that the answer isn't in the stuff. So where is the fucking answer? Like, show me the answer, right? And like, I think the epiphany that you've come to, at least what I'm taking from your story is that, now that you've taken care of your basic needs and you live a good life, you're ready to look beyond that and start finding ways that you can really have an impact in other people's lives. Is, is that kind of a synopsis of, of where you're at? Basically, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I would like to... Uh, I'd like to use whatever time it is that I have left um, to just, you know, put out a hand and give somebody a hand up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe e- easier said than done. Right. We'll see. I mean, it, it to me, it, it feels a lot like it did back when, you know, the company was starting where it's like, okay, I, I have an idea. Um, I have, you know, like a, a plan However, you know, with that last experience, I know that 
It doesn't always go as planned. It doesn't, you know, it, it may end up a little bit differently than what, what the vision is, but the, the overall thing of, of like, you know, lending a hand to people, um, you know, that, 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 that's important to me. Um, and you know, it's gotten me excited again. Um, you know, I, I don't have, I haven't had knock on, knock on something. haven't had, um, <laughs> granite. <laughs> knock on granite. you know, I, I haven't, it, it's been, you know, over seven months since, you know, I, I was down in, in, in the rut of, you know, crappy thinking. Um, it hasn't, hasn't come back at this point. Um, I'm hoping that it doesn't. Um, and I think that, I think that being, you know, outward focused, you know, helping others, you know, it, one, it, it, it keeps me from thinking, you know, about, you know, myself and and myself, not necessarily myself in a way that call it, you know, self-absorbed or, you know, um, do, do I, do I not have this thing? Do I, you know, where am I compared to somebody else? I, I, you know, the, the starting handmade, and even before that, I, I don't, I never really followed the path that, you know, the, the, you know, the Jesuits in high school had laid out as far as like this is what you, you know. And then you go to college and you get married and you, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't taken that path. Right. I've gone in areas where there weren't paths. We're very alike <laughs> in, in that, in, in that way of thinking. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I just kind of think that this is just, um, this is sort of this, the same sort of thing. I mean, um, you know, go in this direction. Things have always seemed to work out. So far, knock on granite, um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be, we'll see what, it, we'll see what comes of it. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure. excited that, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be excited again. Nice. You know, that, that's been, that's been missing for a while. For sure. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, that need help. And that are down or that, that, you know, um, whether it's employment, education, training, um, there's no shortage of people who could use a, you know, a hand up if you will. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious in the world of addiction, since we touched on that, I mean, we, I think we've all experienced someone who's had that tragic diagnosis at some point in our lives, right? I mean, the the diseases of modern civilization are prevalent, unfortunately. And, you know, when it comes to addiction, you hear a lot of different stories about what it is, what it means, you know, how you should deal with it, how you should overcome it. And I know that, you know, of course, this obviously hits home for you based on your story. I'm wondering if you could give us a couple of thoughts on how you see addiction broadly and then you know do you see a way of bringing people out of it that is 
apt to work or that has a tendency to get people a positive outcome? Because to me, it seems as though a lot of the programs that are advertised for those who are dealing with addiction generally end up with high, you know, recidivism rates, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, addictions, it's not, it's, it's not a, uh, there really isn't a winning formula. I mean, when you say, look at statistics, Mm -hmm. um, that's the thing, right? Like statistics are shit. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so my, my, my sister had, you know, obviously her things that, um, addictions, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm back in recovery, um, you know, practicing alcoholic for years, um, been on and off the wagon, you know, a handful of times, you know, in my life since, since 18. Um, so I, I know it, like I know it because of other family members, but I also know it, you know, for myself that, um, it, you know, so I've, I'm in my fourth stent right now of sobriety. I've had three other ones. Each one of those were five years. So it was like, be sober for five years, go back out. Get sober for five years, go back out. So I'm hoping that this one's going to be like six, seven, eight years. We're not going to hit the five again. And That seems like such a long time to just like walk away from something, you know, like five, I'm five years in. Yeah, like I, think, quit. I think I'm going to quit today. <laughs> yeah, rehabs for quitters, man. You know, um, yeah. Well, you know, it was it was second second guessing. I mean, I the first time I got sober was 18. So from 18 to 23, I went through college sober. Um, that one was that was tough. I can imagine. Um, but you know, this current one, you know, I'm 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 happy to give it up. Um. Don't need to go down those roads again. Um, this one so far, you know, it's, I, I don't, I don't have any interest in, in drinking again. It's mm-hmm. like, I've done it, been there, done it. Um, the, the last, the, the last episode drinking episode was, was one for the, uh, for the memory books. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of quashed that desire you know, everybody has their different re- the, the things that I've always heard in, in, you know, AA meetings from people over the years, um, that, that seems to be common. And I, I shared it was just, you know, when alcohol or drug or whatever it was, the substance, I felt comfortable. I felt more comfortable drinking in, in the effects of alcohol than I did sober. You know, so they actually use the word comfort or comfortable. That's the way that that's the way it was thought of. Yeah. Most people are saying like, I I felt more comfortable in my skin, Mm. you know, with, with drinking than, than being sober. And I, I did. I mean, that was my thing. I mean, the first time, I mean, I I know my first time I drank, um, it was, uh, seventh grade, my girlfriend's bat mitzvah in Evanston, Illinois. And, uh, <laughs> purple aces, man. What's that? Isn't that where the purple aces reside? Or is that Evansville? That's Evansville, Evansville. Indiana. Yeah. Evanston's Northwestern. That's Another right. purple one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, that first drink that night, I was like, whoo, I like this feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what, you know, what was your question? What causes them to drink? What, what causes them to, um, no, I'm just curious. Like, you know, I've had people in my family and my extended family go through bouts of uh, different addictions, whether it was alcohol or drug related. And the question, you know, people say such stupid things a lot of times thinking that they're doing good, you know, like, uh, you know, (laughs) oh, you're depressed. Well, why don't you just feel better today? Right. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, if I knew how to do that, I'd do that. You know, there's a switch. (laughs) Obviously, I don't know where that switch is. Right. And so I'm just curious, you know, as someone who's been on both sides of the fence, you know, what's going through the mind of someone who's dealing with addiction when, when they're in that place and maybe they don't want to be, you know, or do they want to be, you know, is it the type of thing that someone really wants to get rid of, or is it the type of thing that they're just, you know, habitually uh, hooked on at this point and there's really no desire. So as an outsider looking in, you know, how do you tell and how do you bring that person back to where they might uh, be at a place where they're experiencing life on a more sober, you know, more enlightened level? Well, I mean, for uh, you know, one, I can only really talk about, you know, alcohol. So I don't, I don't know, like, you know, heroin or opioids or stuff like that. Right. I never, I never got into those. And, um, you know, seeing my sister and, um, the, the call it physical state that she got in, um, and seeing how, like she wasn't able to go a certain period of time mm-hmm. without going back to it where it was, you know, was calling her. It was, you know, like I, I, I never had that. So I mean, she had a physical addiction. Oh, absolutely. That she yeah. Was, she was dealing with. Yeah. yeah. Um, I liked throughout the years, I liked alcohol because I felt different with it. Um, and that feeling different, sometimes it was covering up a pain. So I wasn't feeling that pain. And sometimes it was, you know, let, let's say like it was the alcohol was adding happiness. Um, so, you know, sort of that avoiding pain, seeking pleasure, you know, type of thing. Right. Um, you know, Hey, this is better than feeling this way or being in this situation. Um, that was my, that was my thing. But I guess the question, I mean, I've obviously I went through, you know, lots of, of drinking when I was in college. I never really enjoyed it. I never, I never, I, did. I was never fond of the hangover that I would get the next day. I didn't mind that either. Yeah. I hated it. And so I, I generally avoided it. Um, but anytime I went to a party, I always had a drink in my hand. So, you know, I would walk around and socialize and there's a certain point where it's like perfect. You get, you know, just enough buzz or what have you to lower your inhibitions and you can smile a little more, you're a little more easygoing. You don't feel anxious. And, you know, we have entire generations of children, really kids going into colleges every year, coming out of high school, probably have already started going into college and it's sort of reinforcing the socialization of, Hey, you know what, if you're feeling anxiety, 
hey, have a drink, you know. If you're feeling a little out of place or you're feeling a little nervous, hey, have a drink, you know. It'll solve all your ills. And so we're sort of brought up on that idea. And so alcohol becomes accepted and, you know, as long as you can function when you're on it, nobody really cares, right? Right. It's only when it destroys your life or it's create or it, it occupies your time that it's an issue, right? And so the question becomes, you know, if you're the type of person who has that draw or, or, or that's drawn to that state of being, you know, is there a place in your head that you can, or a, a, a space in your mind where you can actually sense that it's going too far or that you've, you know, enough is enough or, you know, maybe five times this week, you know, is enough kind of a thing. Or when you're in that space, does it just not even register? Like, I'm just always been curious about that. Well, you know, like I listen, like the, the last go around. So I was out drinking for six years, um, 2013 to 2019. Um, I knew I was an alcoholic. I didn't, I didn't deceive myself and be like, Oh no, no, you're, you know, I knew it. I just didn't care. Mm. Um, I, I wasn't with anybody, you know, like a, a, a girlfriend, wife, right. anything like that. So I didn't care. I, I, I wasn't hurting anybody except myself. And I didn't care enough about myself that I cared about hurting myself. I got you. So to me, it was just, okay, well, you know, go Go do you. Mm-hmm. Go do this version of you. Got it. Um, now, you know, fast forward to 2019 um, and, you know, being out with a customer and, and being at a bar and then, you know, getting roofied and, you know, w- waking up the next day, you know, in jail, um, having been shot and eaten by a dog the night before <laughs> and not knowing any of it. Um, that to me, what was a, uh, a turning point where it was like, okay, you know, what do we want to do today? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, you know, I'm sitting on my fireplace at home. Okay. It was out loud conversation, kind of just like I'm saying right now. Okay, do we want to go to Safeway and get a case of beer and and bury this? We can we can avoid what we don't even know what happened last night. I still don't, you know, I still didn't know at that time. So should should I go get a case of beer and start drinking? Or you know, there was a voice, my voice, that was like, you know, you have been sober before, right? And when you're sober, stuff like this doesn't happen. Um. Not even sure what happened, but something happened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at that moment, it was like, okay, you know, let's, let's go down the road that's a little safer. Sure. Um, and so, you know, for me, that was, that was the point where it was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and, and it's, not, it's not a type of thing of like, oh, you know, parents or loved ones saying you need to quit. I mean, I was, I was just done like this. It was such a bad experience. It was, yeah. I mean, I didn't even know how bad of an experience it was at that exact moment. Right. I knew it was bad though. Yeah. I didn't know exactly how bad it was. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, it was just like, you know what? Um, the, this, there is no more fun in this. Mm-hmm. This doesn't cover pain or loneliness or anything like that. It's, it's actually causing, you know, apparently it's causing more damage. Um, and, and, you know, honestly at that point is when I think I just realized I care about myself. Yeah, for sure. I think we, I think when we had our previous podcast, did you tell the story, that story? I believe you did. I don't know. I can't remember now. But since you referenced being shot <laughs> and eaten by a dog, you might want to give the listeners just a little bit of the nutshell version of what ha- actually happened that night. Uh, yeah, the fast version is I, I, I went out to meet a customer at a bar um, for a couple drinks um, and then was going to head home because I had to meet another customer in the morning. So it wasn't going to be a long night. It wasn't going to be one of my you know shit shows. Um, and when I went to leave the bar that night, I was crossing a street, went to cross a street, and that's the last thing I remember. Mm. Um, woke up the next day in jail, um, was, was being transported to another jail, and before leaving there, you know, an officer had said, hey, you know, you're lucky that dog didn't get your hands or face last night. And I was, I was so out of it that I was just like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. What dog? He's like, lift up your shirt. You don't remember? Well, apparently the night before, um, I had hired a golf cart. Um, There's like little golf cart taxis in Old Town, and I'd hired one to drive me home. And on the 20-mile ride home, which apparently I'm the world's greatest salesman to be able to convince him to drive me home, uh, but it was a straight shot, just straight up Scottsdale Road. Apparently into the one mile into the, the drive, I annoyed him because I was stopping on the accelerator. You know, golf carts don't go very fast. Right. And um, so he stopped the cart and got out to like yell at me. And when he did that, apparently I slid over and took off in the cart. And, um, and then he, he contacted the police. The police got behind me. Um, I led them on a slow speed pursuit up Scottsdale Road for three miles until they laid out spike straps, which disabled the cart, and then they released the police dog on me, and then and then I was shot a couple times with with you know, like with like crowd, canister crowd control type stuff, yeah. non lethal, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a total shit show, um, and uh, you know there there was. It wasn't, it wasn't looking good at the beginning of like, um, the charges and, and trying to figure out what happened, um, and realize like there's something wasn't right about that night. I mean, so I drink a lot, like a lot, like I'm professionally good at it. Um, and that night I don't remember anything. I've, I, I've never had that happen. Um, so we, we had, fortunately, because I was taken to the hospital, there was blood drawn um, so we were able to send the blood off to a lab and they found out later that, uh, somebody had spiked my drink with, with ketamine. Jeez. Um, anyway, it was just, uh, you know, a, uh, it was a crappy experience that I think, um, don't try up, this at home kind of a thing. Well, don't, don't try it at home. But I mean, I think, you know, for me, the, um, 
it it's made a lasting positive impression. I do not wish to put myself in a situation of ever having that ha- happen that ha- having that happen again. Right. Um and and I know that my going to a bar and being around alcohol that night put me in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I just know that that the whole world, not just me, the whole world is better off when I'm not drinking. Yeah. So do you think that you would have had that epiphany had this situation not happened? No. Yeah. No. I, w- I would have so gone you down. you just kept going. I would have I would probably kept going. Well, right. I would have pissed somebody off at some point. And sure. I'd probably take a look and, well, you know, whatever. But no, it, it would have just been, you know, um, continue, you know, that lifestyle. You know, just... You were fine with it at that point. Golfing and drinking. Golfing and drinking, right? No, I mean. Living the bro life. American dream. <laughs> you know, pe- people work their whole lives to retire to get to do that. Yeah, for sure. That's, a, that's, that's still just a, an incredible story. It blows my mind. But I think the biggest thing that, um, you know, I've, I've taken away from our last few conversations is just the shift from, you know, just a shift into really wanting to create purpose and meaning in your life and by helping other people. And I think you mentioned the other day, (laughs) you realized you were a supporter. If we use Psy seminar quadrant type, um, uh, terminology doormats. Yeah. (laughs) Well, doormats, uh, is kind of like the low functioning version of the supporting behavior style. Right. But, um, you know, obviously there's lots of power in, in all the behavior styles, but, you know, coming from that place, making some new realizations about yourself. I think one of the things that you mentioned was that you were working with um, uh, someone who had started helping you with health and microdosing and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that experience and, you know, what you've learned from it. Um, uh, this seems to be a very popular sort of pathway for a lot of people today. Uh, especially people who have addictive personalities. And so I'm just curious what your experience has been. What, it's psilocybin? Psilocybin, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, um, er- earlier this, well, last year, um, I uh, saw an interview with Mike Tyson. And Mike was being interviewed by a reporter. And the reporter was asking him, um, you know, hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. I know over the years you've had kind of your mental health struggles and this and that. And Mike was all excited and he was like, uh, you know, life's been great. You know, for the last two years I've been on, um, psilocybin, um, you know, and, and he went, he went off and I, and I just, I, I didn't recognize the word that he used. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know what it was, but it just stuck in my head. And, um, <laughs> a while later, um, I, I, I came across a person who, um, on a dating app who had, uh, had mentioned it in there. And so I reached out and was, was talking to her, um, inquiring about, you know, it and, and sharing, you know, what, what I'd saw, seen in the interview and then just sharing, you know, where I was, you know, in, in my life at that moment, um, and what I'd been going through and the struggle that it had been. And, um, you know, she, she had, she had said, 
I, I, I think this would help. Um, so I, I was able to get some from her and it was like immediate. It was immediate, just, just a shift, just, just weights being taken off, um, felt lighter. There, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything of the magical, like, you know, funky seeing stuff and anything like that. It was just, you know, like one degree, right? If you, if you change just one degree over a period of time, you end up in a completely different place, right? Um, and it was just, it was just, you know, kind of thing where it was like, you know, that's not a big deal. Like what you're fretting, like, it's not a big deal. You're worried about first world problems. Um, and that wasn't there before. It was, you know, every, everything was just heavy, you know, and it could be something just literally meaningless, but yet it felt like it was the mountain. Um, and, you know, with the psilocybin, it just, it just, just sort of reduced that weight. Um, and I, I'm not suicidal. I'm not thinking about it. It's not even contemplating it. Um, you know, but it, in that time, that that you know, I met her, and and we'd gone through you know a handful of of you know, meetings and discussions and and, and stuff. Um, you know, there, there's it, it, it's sort of been figuring out like okay, you know, this is helpful, um, but you know what what's my purpose? Um, and I you know. When you bring up the, uh, the customer service, you know, she, she had introduced me to a book. And in that book, you know, it talks about everybody has like their own specific gene keys and then what that, you know, how they act, interact, what their roles are in life. And um, so we did mine and mine came back as um, basically saying that, that uh, you know, like, in order for me to feel fulfilled, it's going to, you know, I, I, I need to basically give. And so when I heard it, I was like, man, it's one of the, one of those doormat people because <laughs> you ever read the giving tree? I've never read it, but I know the story. All right. Shell Silverstein. I have it. It's in my, powder room at my house and I so I see it all the time in my you know my, my mom read it to me I don't know countless times as, as a kid and so there's the kid and there's the tree mm -hmm. and the kid's always asking the tree for things and the tree's always giving it to him right. until he becomes a stump right um I think I've always looked at that tree as a sucker you know Here's somebody that's just coming and taking from you, taking from you. You're giving until you have nothing left. I've kind of, you know, so when I, that, okay, there, so there's a program, right? <laughs> and then we can maybe figure out <laughs> where that, that came from. You know, the, that's not healthy, probably. Yeah. It's not, but, you know, um, 
you know, the, the tree was giving. So giving is a good thing. Right, I mean, listen, the, it can be, and, and don't get me wrong, we're not going to get into this. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to give stuff on, away to where it, you know, it's, it's detrimental yeah. to my health or. Which like, is I, the point. I'm not, book, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be carrying the cross and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm still going to, you know, be healthy. Right. Um, but, you know, looking back on that, when, when I heard that, like, oh, giving was his, his and, I, and I believe it because I've seen it in my life. When I feel fulfilled, it's when I'm looking out for other people. I have a hard time still saying that because I think of that damn tree and I'm like, that tree's a sucker. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm a sucker though. And, no. and it, but I always have thought like, okay, the customer service, the support people. Right. And, and uh, you know, that's not me. Well, it turns out, even if it's not me, that's where I get my fulfillment from. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great that you bring that analogy up of the giving tree, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, that personality type, that supporter, if you will, or, you know, whatever it came out to be in the, in the other format, the, the challenge or one of the major challenges that they face is boundaries, right? Right. And that was the challenge that the tree had. The tree had no boundaries. Right. And, and because of that, it ended up a stump, like you said, right? Yeah. But imagine if there were 10 kids coming. But as a stump, he was still able to let the old guy, the kid came back as an old guy, sit Sit down on on the stump. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, that's the only person that could sit down. Just, it could just serve the one person at that point, right? There was so little left that, the, that all he could do was serve one person. Yeah. To serve more people, then, you know, you have to have a boundary around what it is that you're going to create because you have to invest in yourself, which right. is kind of the, that's what I take from the, from that parable anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, but I think that's where I originally came with like, ah, the, you know, the, the givers are suckers. Um, although I, I, you know, and that is interesting imagery, right? Like the kid is sitting now sitting on the stump, which is anytime you know, in a story, anytime an object is on top of another object, it shows dominance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or, or disrespect, one of the two. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, so apparently, you know, unbeknownst <laughs> to me all these years. Um, you have a closet doormat? Yeah, apparently. Not a front door doormat, a closet doormat? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting that um, you had that epiphany. I think it's interesting in the in the behavior matrix that they teach in the leadership seminar that we did that there is a much deeper version of that. And obviously they're going through it quickly in class so that they can make sure that everyone has some sort of understanding of what's, you know, what's happening with this thing. But if you go deeper and you look at the actual supporting documents and research underneath the squares, like the addictive personality, the, um, the, the challenge with boundaries, the challenge with structure, these are all things that you've talked about existing in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not really a surprise if you had had all the information, right? Right. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. Definitely dive deeper into that. I think you'll see that the difference between 
being high functioning in that behavior style versus low functioning is massive. Because as you said, like giving, you want to serve people and you're like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give until my life is gone kind of a thing, right? Like I know where that boundary is, right? And knowing that is really the key to maintaining your purpose and your meaning if that's the path that you plan to go. Otherwise, there's nothing left, right? Your, your health is gone, right? The thing that you said you're grateful for earlier, your mental health, your physical health, they're both gone. You just give into the point where there's nothing left to give. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to end up, you know, giving everything that, that, <laughs> that I end up on the street or anything like that. Um, but I also know that, you know, I, I, I know that I have a lot to give, um, that I'm capable of giving, and. Um, and I think not doing it when I have an opportunity is just taking. Yes. It's, you know, um, so, you know, because I don't know how much time there's left, you know, why not start now? Um, well said, man. Well said. Okay. So given that, given that you feel good about yourself, and you know that you're providing value to other people, you're outward focused when you're giving, mm-hmm. right? And knowing that, you know, you have, um, you've built a, a company that can help support that, you know, what does success look like for you going forward? Nah. Um, I'm not, I'm not, you know, to, to label it success, Label it whatever you want to label it. Listen, success to me right now is getting through the day sober, mm-hmm. which is easy. I mean, it hasn't it hasn't been a knock on, knock on granite, you know. Um, doing that, you know, working out, being healthy, doing those right things, you know. Take, taking care of the business, um, making sure, you know, my, my employees are, are taken care of, potentially growing it, you know, and having more people that's, that are employed and having a living. Um, and at the same time, you know, helping other people, that, that would be success to me. Love it. Love it, man. Appreciate that. Well, I've, uh, I've, kind of run the gamut today we, we kind of covered a lot of ground and I know that uh, a lot of people who've supported handmade now have even more so of a reason to support handmade so with that said you know where can people get in touch with you and or purchase products and or support the brand going forward or the the outreach programs that you plan to to get rolling well the we we have to get our um 501c3 whatever irs that hasn't been um it's going to be submitted here shortly so once we get approval on that you know we'll start a website and all that sort of things but i mean as far as just the you know the company it's just websites gibbons handmade you know um we make we make what we make um they can they can reach out there um and uh 
you know, hopefully the, uh, the, the, you know, Project Starfish will, will be an official entity, you know, in, in the near future here. Very cool. Well, I'm not going to steal the punchline. I know why you chose Starfish, but let's wait until it gets going and maybe we'll do another podcast and you can elaborate on that story. But last question, man, it's always the same. And that is, uh, what does wellness mean to you? Oh man, did you ask this the last time? (laughs) I don't remember. It's been so long. I usually, this is the last question that I almost always ask. I won't say always. Ah, um, well, you know, wellness. So, you know, it goes with that mental wellness and this and that. Um, oh, I think you did ask it the last time because I think I answered with the puppies. Um, yeah, that was my, my thing last time. I'll have to go back and see. I don't remember your answer. I'll have to go back and see. Um, yeah, you, you get, you got me, you got me stumped on this one. <laughs> um, because, uh, yeah, no, I'm associating it with kind of the stuff that I've, that I've gone through. Sure. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I guess just content, just being content with, with where I'm at. No, that's totally cool, man. I appreciate it. It's a tough question. And the reason that I ask it is because it's so broad. I get, you know, every person I ask gives me a different answer. And when I ask the same person, the same question, I get a different answer. And I think it just points to the fact that we really don't know. Like a lot of us don't really know what wellness looks like, or either there's no governing definition in the vernacular, if you will, that tells us what it means. Well, because I know I wasn't well and I was struggling Right. Um, right now, wellness to me means not struggling. Mm, I love it, man. So I love it. It's simple to the point. I appreciate that. Thanks for being here today, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you telling your story. I know that uh, there's a couple moments in there that, you know, you got really vulnerable, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. All right, guys. There you have it. Mr. Patrick Gibbons, creator, owner of Gibbons Handmade. Be sure and check those guys out and keep an eye out for the show notes. We'll make sure that we get everything linked up there. And then, of course, once the outreach programs, charities get started, whatever they're going to end up being called, maybe we'll have you back up and uh, you can tell us all about what's going on with that. Absolutely. Love to do it. Sounds good, guys. So until then, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.